You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Superb's building. You bet. She's up. Punches right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I'm your host here with you, Charles Hamaker. Yes, you'll notice that we are back here in the home studio. Not planned. Uh, we got news that the Kraken would be practicing uh, today's Monday, the 9th. They would be practicing at the Kraken Community Ice Plex. We didn't get that news until the night before, last night. Uh, so that was great. And so we are recording this episode after that. Uh, still going out at the normal time of four o'clock. Um, so nobody's playing tonight. The Kraken will play tomorrow. Uh, it's kind of weird not having these games go like there every day with the Mariners playing. And uh, so it's, it's a little different, but maybe a little bit better for a slower change of pace. So getting into it, uh, a little bit of an interesting week dating back uh, to this past week with our Seahawks, at least, uh, because they played on Monday night, and then this past Sunday they were off because they had a bye week. So we'll get into the Monday night football game that we previewed last week, um, October 2nd at the New York Football Giants at MetLife Stadium. Uh, a 24-3 to victory. Seattle moves to 6-0 and in the Pete Carroll era when they're playing at MetLife against the Giants. Um, big game. I mean, the first half wasn't uh, wasn't like... There weren't fireworks per se in the first half. Uh, the Seahawks offense was still trying to figure some things out. But in the second half, Seattle was really able to tee off uh, defensively and get what they wanted on the offensive side of the ball as well. No big eye-popping numbers on the offensive side of the ball. So that's kind of why I went with running back Kenneth Walker the third once again. Ken has just been able to... Uh, really grind out these yards. He looked good. He would have had a really long touchdown had it not been for his uh, right butt cheek hitting the turf. Uh, it was a big kind of odd play where it's like, was he really down? Was he not down? The, the officials did the right thing. They let the play run out uh, upon further review as all scoring plays are reviewed. Uh, it was noted that his right butt cheek hit the ground, thus ruling him down as he was being tackled. Uh, just still, I mean, 17 carries for 79 yards and a touchdown. Not bad. Not a bad uh, night, not a like stellar night, but still he's been a consistent force for Seattle. And uh, the Seahawks have been able to mix in uh, Walker and a little bit of Zach Charbonnet as well. Uh, and it's, it's a nice change of pace, but they're still both physical and can run the ball well. Uh, so I, I imagine that's what they were looking for when they got Charbonnet uh, in the draft. Uh, and he kind of brings you more than that. I mean, DJ Dallas has provided solid spurts for this team. We've looked at him in previously years, but Charbonnet's physicality, I'm sure is what Seattle really likes with him. And he pairs well with Kenneth Walker, the third who can bring that physicality and can bring that agile speed as well. On the defensive side of the ball, Devin Witherspoon has really burst onto the scene and he really burst onto the scene with this game here. Seven tackles, six of them solo, two sacks, two tackles for loss, one pass deflection, three quarterback hits, and he had a 97-yard interception return for a touchdown. Uh, I believe that's the second longest uh, touchdown in Seahawks history, I believe. I could be wrong. Or a defensive touchdown. I could be wrong. Um, 
really, really big there, a big week for Witherspoon. And we've kind of, I think we've talked about this in weeks before um, where, you know, I myself was somebody who wanted to see Jalen Carter in a Seahawks jersey. I said, hey, the Seahawks are a team that tend to take chances on people and get them a second chance, uh, get them right. Uh, obviously with the struggles that the team had defending the run and just kind of in uh, the pass rush as well, it would have made sense. But the Seahawks and the front office brass, Pete Carroll, John Schneider decided to go with Witherspoon. And you're seeing why. You're seeing the ability to come and contribute in the running game and come down and make tackles downhill. The ability to cover well, obviously. He looks excellent. He looks like a top five pick. Um, and I think that any comparisons that people were making early on, especially when Witherspoon wasn't healthy yet and when he missed week one and then the preseason, those were just foolish things to do. Those were just, I'm mad. I didn't get the pick that I wanted. Uh, and I, and I'm going to hate this guy because I didn't get that pick. It was a stupid thing to do. There are certain accounts on here. It was the on tap guys. Um, you know, just, just silly, just foolish to not trust what's going on here. And De- Devon Witherspoon can really, um, be a special defensive player in this league. Uh, I know the Seahawks just before we went on the air, uh, we're putting out a campaign to start the Devon Witherspoon for defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year campaign. Still early, but he's really made his mark, uh, with the Seahawks defense since he's been able to get in the lineup. So. Before we go further into the game, uh, we'll look at inactives here. Uh, Seattle was missing numerous defensive backs coming into this game. Cornerback slash safety, Kobe Bryant, cornerback Trey Brown, and cornerback Artie Burns were all inactives. Fullback slash linebacker Nick Ballore was inactive as he was actually back in Seattle uh, witnessing the birth of his child. So congratulations. Uh, Offensive tackles McClendon Curtis and Charles Cross inactive, as well as offensive guard Ben Brown was inactive. Uh, This was a tough game. I talked about how, you know, in the first half, they kind of needed to get things going. Um, The second half, uh, yeah, better. But uh, in terms of physicality and uh, the bye week, which they just had, uh, Seattle lost Jamal Adams nine plays into the game uh, with a concussion. He, Pete Carroll, after the game, said he should be good to go this week against Cincinnati, considering that they had the bye weeks. We haven't heard an official update on that quite yet. It's Monday, so we'll probably get those sort of things throughout the course of the week. Um, Offensive guard Phil Haynes left the game with a calf injury. Offensive guard Damian Lewis left the game with an ankle injury. So you're losing. You've already lost Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, your, your two bookend tackles. Then your two offensive guards go out. So Seattle was basically playing with their their bench players on the offensive line. And um, they, they were able to hold up remarkably. Uh, the Giants were losing parts of their offensive line and Seattle recorded a franchise record 11 sacks against them in this game. So uh, all credit to offensive line coach Dickerson um, and the backups for staying ready and being able to come in and fill in uh, in this situation. Quarterback Geno Smith did leave the game with a knee injury for a point in time. He did come back. Drew Locke helped lead a touchdown drive uh, in the time that he was in the game. And nose tackle Jerron Reed left the game with a shin injury. So you see, that's five injuries there um, on top of the amount of injuries that Seahawks had coming into this game. So normally the early bye week, not not ideal. Uh, you'd like that bye week later into the season uh, when you're trying to make the playoff push. You want those guys to get that week of rest, week to get them healthy, and then forward into the playoff push. Seattle's not going to complain about their bye week being where it is right now, um, considering how banged up they have been um, 
so early into the season. So um, hopefully that was able to help there. Uh, keeping up with the Devon Witherspoon news on the 4th of October, two days after the win over the Giants, cornerback Devon Witherspoon earned NFC Defensive Player of the Week honors uh, and made back-to-back Seahawks players earning Player of the Week honors. I think they totally deserved, again, I grew up a big secondary guy, you know, um, I grew up playing corner cause I was too damn skinny to play anything else. I sure as hell wasn't going to be a linebacker and I sure as hell wasn't going to be a pass rusher in any way, shape or form. And I wasn't good. I, before like we keep going and, and hopefully CSS grows to where it, 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 I hope it, it, it grows. Um, I was not good when I played football. I was not. So no need to go and show me my huddle or anything like that. Probably cause it doesn't exist. Um, so I was always a defensive back guy growing up. Uh, so I was kind of okay with the Witherspoon pick. I was like, what are we doing here at first? But I, I trust these things because Pete Carroll, I mean, we've seen what he's been able to do with different defensive backs throughout the course of his coaching tenure here with Seattle. You know, it's uh, Brandon Browner had size, but it was not like he was the best technical corner and he was able to fill in and play a huge role with the Legion of Boom. Uh, Byron Maxwell, as soon as he left Seattle, kind of turned to toast. Uh, you know, uh, a guy that I really wanted to be great was Trey Flowers. Uh, here with Seattle, they converted him from safety to corner. Uh, didn't necessarily work out, but he still played a decent amount of games here with the Seahawks. So um, I, I know I, I list not the best examples, but Seattle has some great defensive backs that they've been able to bring up from the draft, you know, whether it's Reek Woolen, obviously Richard Sherman. So, you know, um, I, I kind of wanted to just trust this front office, this coaching staff and see what they were going to do with Witherspoon. And at least the early returns, it's looking good. So we'll let that go as it is. Um, it's going to be an interesting game this upcoming week against the Bengals in Cincinnati. Uh, since he started out one and three, uh, they got the win this past week against the Cardinals kind of had to hold them off and pull away later into that fourth quarter. Um, they, they look better. Jamar chase had a great game. Uh, Joe Burrow looked better after dealing with a calf injury. So this is kind of a big game uh, for them to see if they're going to keep moving. This is a big game for Seattle to kind of keep the three game winning shoot going, knock on the woods. Um, so We'll see how that goes. Uh, Seattle's next game, as I mentioned, they sit at a three and one record on the current season. They are, oh goodness, they're second in the NFC West behind the, oh goodness. Um, that's, I'm sorry, I got a submission uh, to CSS while I'm sitting here recording. Um, three and one record. They sit second in the FC West behind the San Francisco 49ers who are five and zero at the current moment. And they do look pretty damn good. Um, next game, October 15th at the Cincinnati Bengals. That is a 10 a.m. Start 10 a.m. On CBS. It's a big game. Uh, we should get injury reports throughout the week. So make sure to follow us on the social medias um, to be able to check out that when we get that in real time and we can pass that sort of infl- information along to you. Um, so I'll let you pause it if you need to, but this is a perfect opportunity for us now to switch gears and look over. It's weird. We don't have any Seahawks. I mean, we don't have any Mariners. We don't have any storm news. We go right over to, well, in the hat I'm wearing, uh, to our sounders. And, um, it's, it's funny because there are so many similar themes week by week with the sounders. Uh, it's positive because they clinched their playoff spot in the 2023 MLS cup 
um, yeah, MLS Cup playoffs, MLS playoffs in the playoffs. Uh, but the next win, the next match, which would have helped them move higher in the seating, helped them with seating uh, as we enter the decision day this upcoming week, they split the points. So, um, firstly, the match that helped them clinch their playoff spot, October 4th versus the LA Galaxy, a 2-1 to one win. Our player of the match midfielder, Jao Paulo. Jao Paulo, an 8.6 match rating, one assist, an 86% passing percentage, three chances created, one big chance created, and one shot. Our photo of the match is by our photographer, Liz Walter. Uh, you can just kind of see the, the – there's a story here, right, uh, Los Angeles Galaxy goalkeeper Jonathan Bond sits there in the foreground with the ball after uh, midfielder Christian Roldan, who is, a, uh, I think he's technically in the photo, but he's covered up by Reed Baker Whiting on the right-hand side of the photo, uh, celebrates the game-winning goal at the death in the 96th minute, um, which helped Seattle clinch their playoff berth. I believe it would have been clinched uh, due to the LAFC result at this um, earlier in the match that ended. Um, but Seattle just outright with their own win clinched their playoff spot, uh, gets them back on track after missing last year and snapping the historic streak. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but Seattle can be dangerous in these playoffs. So that was a positive. You're coming off of a winner in the 96th minute. You say, wow, you know, Christian Roldan gets back on how big he's been for this Sounders team. Uh, this season, this past season, uh, last season, uh, in the beginning of the year, playing like an MVP candidate, uh, then kind of deals with stuff throughout the course of the year. Uh, this year, obviously, dealing with the concussion symptoms, um, and he scores that winner there. We go over to the Vancouver Whitecaps, who have already secured the Cascadia Cup this year, unfortunately. Um, they've been they've had a solid year. They've had a solid attack. Uh, they come into Seattle. The Sounders are looking to take a win here. If they would have, they would have moved up in the standings that would have helped their own seating uh, for when the playoffs come around. Instead, the teams play to a scoreless draw and they split the points and everybody kind of feels like Jao Paulo here in this photo of the match by Matthew Bermudez um, because Seattle really dominated this match in terms of the statistics. Seattle had 17 shots in total. Uh, Vancouver had four, four shots in total in this match by the Whitecaps who have had a strong offensive year in 2023 uh, and none of them were on target. So Seattle was really able to shut down Vancouver and they weren't able to make it count. Our play of the match defender knew who, uh, and it, it makes sense. I guess that one of the backline members gets the player of the match honors an 8.1 match rating, 84% passing percentage, one chance created two shots, a 14, 14 passes into the final third, which is huge. Um, well, let me finish his stats. Two tackles, one, three clearances, two interceptions, and 12 recoveries on the night. It really, that stat line really showed what Nuhu brings to this club, whether it be his defensive efforts with the clearances, interceptions, and recoveries, or, you know, his attacking ability as well with the passing percentage, the chance created, the shots, and the 14, I'll say it again, 14 passes into the final third. So, yeah, I mean... Before I get to talking about why the Sounders team can be good in the playoffs, I mean, just looking at these two matches, it was fresh. The, the goal that they allowed against the Galaxy was frustrating because it was a lot like what we've seen from the Sounders over the course of the year. Uh, a defensive lapse leaves a defend uh, an op opposition opposing player open um, to get a free run of sorts and equalize. Um, but then Christian Roldan comes through and 
you know, scored as the winner. That match against the Galaxy felt more like the Seattle Sounders that, you know, we were used to. You know, uh, just the energy in the building was better. The energy from the team was better. Uh, this match against the Whitecaps, not as much. It kind of felt like the Sounders of this year and the second half of last season was kind of like drudging along. They didn't have the killer instinct. They didn't have the bite on the attack. Um, at the end of that, the, the Vancouver match, though, the Sounders put on a heavy, heavy, heavy press, heavy pressure, heavy attack. But uh, Whitecaps goalkeeper, Yahoo, Yahoo uh, the, the Whitecaps goalkeeper, I apologize. I don't want to butcher the name, so I'm not going to say it. Um, had some excellent, excellent saves uh, to deny Seattle. So it wasn't all necessarily on the Sounders' fault, but they certainly should have scored from one of the chances that they created. Um, why the Sounders can be a dangerous team in the playoffs? I mean, you look at the defensive effort throughout the course of the year. Seattle is tied for the first most um Oh, tied atop the league for the most clean sheets throughout the course of this year. And they have the most clean sheets at home this season amongst all of MLS. They're going to have at least one playoff match at home, considering where they're going to be seated. Um, so defensively, you're set, you know, as long as you're able to clean up the mental lapses, this defense, this back line and goalkeeper Stefan Fry will keep you in the match. It's the offense. And even in that regard, it's not, all of the offense is issue. The offense has been able to generate chances. They're going to work on set pieces as they get towards the playoff because set pieces play a big role in the playoffs. Um, but it's their finishing. It's the one thing. If you were able to change the fortune of the finishing of this club this year, they probably have the West locked up already. They have probably have the top seed. I can't say they'd be better than Cincinnati uh, necessarily. I mean, eh, but there are so many matches this season where the finishing for Seattle result just because of how bad it was resulted in a draw or even a loss because they weren't able to keep up. Um, so I, I think if they're able to find that bite, if they're able to make that one last push with a bunch of guys who uh, many of who are going to be without a contract this off season, they're able to make that push and make this matter. They can make a deep run. I truly believe that because of their defensive, you know, how strong that defense is. I truly believe that, but they have to turn that finishing around. So uh, we'll see. Uh, um, looking ahead. Oh, well, we'll look at the availability report. Um, in both matches, Sota Kitahara remains out with a left quad strain. Cody Baker was questionable uh, for the match against the Galaxy with a con with concussion protocols. Um, and in both of the matches, Raul Ruiz Diaz was questionable with back pain, but he was not available for selection in either of them. Um, so it's it's all it's not necessarily unlikely that we don't see Raul in the rest of the regular season. He wasn't training before the Whitecaps match, but he wasn't available for selection in that match. So um, on October 5th, Christian Roldan and João Paulo were named to the MLS Team of the Week match day. Uh, Roldan was in the starting 11 with an 8.2 match rating, one goal, 82% passing, one chance created in two shots, and obviously the game-winning goal at the death, as I mentioned. And then João Paulo, we already read his stats. He was on the Team of the Match Day bench. Um, I thought he should have been higher, but hey. Uh, looking ahead, the Sounders hit at a 13-win, 9-loss, 11-draw record, resulting in 50 points. There are one point behind LAFC for the second seed in the West. They sit at ninth in the entirety of the MLS 
third in the Western Conference. Looking ahead, their next match, October 21st at St. Louis SC. That's a 6 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. That match will be, um, well, this one's interesting because, as I kind of mentioned, this uh, St. Louis already has the top seed in the Western Conference locked up. So Seattle can only move as high as a second seed. It's possible that they can get that second seed, but they will need some help. LAFC, as I mentioned, is sitting in the second spot, uh, just a point above Seattle. The Houston Dynamo in fourth are two points behind Seattle, and those same Vancouver Whitecaps that the Sounders just played are three points behind the Sounders. So uh, a win or a draw is imperative uh, to that moving forward. So we will now take the time to switch over here. Give me one second. Sorry, I had a yawn come out there. Um, to our Seattle Kraken, and they're wrapping up training camp in the preseason. Tomorrow is the beginning of the third year in franchise history. It's going to be a big opening match. Match? Nope. Opening game. We're not talking about soccer right now. Um, and we'll get to these last three preseason games before we get into tomorrow's season opener. Um, Seattle opened up these last week of the preseason hosting the Edmonton Oilers at home, losing that one, one to four, our player of the game for Kyler Yamamoto, Yamamoto scoring against his former team, one goal, one point, three shots and two block shots. Um, in the second game of this, uh, yeah. So the second game the past week in the preseason, uh, headed up to Abbotsford to play the Canucks, not in Vancouver. They played them in the city of their AHL affiliate, the Abbotsford can, um, I think that the Abbotsford Canucks, I followed enough of the, yeah, Abbotsford Canucks. Thank you. Um, they would win that one two to one thanks to a goal in the third period by forward Ellie Tolvanen. Tolvanen, one goal, one point, a one plus minus and three shots on the night. Um, so nice to get that win there. Solid effort. Uh, and then in the mat, the game on the sixth against the Oilers, Oilers? I tried to combine Edmonton and the word Oilers. Uh, in October 6th at the Edmonton Oilers was a 1-3 to three loss. Our player of the game for Jared McCann. Canner, one goal, one point, a one plus minus, three shots, and two takeaways. So that would wrap up the preseason. I try not to take so much uh, into account when it comes to the preseason scores. It's uh, Certain aspects are obviously what you're looking for in the preseason. We talked about that before all over. Um, what we're looking at with the preseason as well is also uh, the opening night roster. So we'll get to that here. Um, have the roster opened up. Uh, but the roster moves. So on the fifth, the uh, team assigned uh, forward Luke Henman, Ville Petman, defenseman Pietro Sepala, and goaltender Alice Deska to the Coachella Valley Firebirds and the AHL, their affiliate. On the same day, they placed the following players on waivers with the intent to send them down to the Firebirds. In defenseman Connor Carrick, forward Cameron Hughes, forward Cole Lynn, forward Max McCormick, defenseman Gustavo Lafson, uh, forward Andrew Podorowski, uh, defenseman's... Um, Defensemen, Mitch Reinke uh, and Jimmy Schultz and forwards Evan Shore and Marianne Studenek. All of those players, uh, Studenich, pardon me, all of those players would clear waivers and head down to Coachella Valley. On the seventh, defenseman Riker Evans and forward Shane Wright would head down to Coachella Valley. Uh, I'll stop there. Both of these players were guys that many uh, whether it be media or the fan base thought would make the roster for the Kraken uh, 
for opening night. I understand why they didn't. And Coach Hackstall, as well as uh, general manager Ron Francis, talked to the media about it um, towards the end of training camp. I believe it was on the 7th they talked about it. They want both of these guys essentially to get real minutes at this point of the season. They don't, they would rather them, like in Shane Wright's case, would you rather him get fourth line minutes, get maybe eight minutes a night? Uh, or opposed to the AHL, which he hasn't played in yet. It's not like they're sending him back to the OHL. They're sending him to the AHL to go down there and play against, you know, essentially NHL-ready talent um, on a consistent basis with players that he'll likely play with at some point here anyway. And with Riker Evans, uh, he had a really solid camp. He had a really solid camp, but considering you're paying Brian Dumoulin what you are, they're not going to bring him up yet. And why would you have him sit here as the eighth defenseman when he can be actually getting real minutes and continuing his growth and development? It makes sense. They're going to be the, the freaks who are like, oh, Shane Wright, Shane Wright this. He's 19 years old. Seattle already has enough depth as it is. They're going to be fine without him, and he's going to be fine continuing to grow, and he will help this team when they need him to. And that may be at some point throughout the course of the year. We saw the Kraken have to bring up Jesper Froden, John Hayden, uh, uh, Max McCormick. Uh, was it Max McCormick this year? He might have been at some point this year, yeah. The, the, the Kraken had to bring up defensemen anyway. Gustav Olofsson was here for, I think, one game. Um, so you're going with uh, injuries and such. You're going to eventually call up one of these AHL guys. So who knows? We probably see Riker Evans at some point this year. We probably see Shane Wright at some point this year. Um, so it, I don't know. A lot of that frustration is just with people who freak out about Shane Wright. I think they're silly. Um, on the same day, on the 7th, the team placed goaltender Chris Drieger, defenseman Kale Fleury, and forward John Hayden all on waivers with the intent to send them down to AHL uh, with the Firebirds, and all of them did clear waivers. Some people were worried about those because, I mean, all all three of those players, ew, sorry about that, all three of those players are really solid. A lot of people thought Chris Drieger might be claimed, uh, but they're all going to go down to Coachella Valley, again, with injuries and such like that and the way that the NHL season plays out over the course of 82 games, we will probably see multiple Firebirds players come up at some point in time. Just saying. So that leaves us with the opening night roster. Of, we'll go with goalies, defensemen, and forwards. So we show our goalies and defensemen some love. Uh, obviously, Philip Grubauer will take the starting job in the uh, between the pipes for the Kraken, and he's going to be backed up by Joey Decord. Decord. Really solid AHL season last year. He looked solid in his stints with Seattle towards the end of the year when Martin Jones was dealing with injury um, or, or more than that. Um, and he had a great postseason with the Firebirds as well as they would fall just short of the Calder Cup defenseman. Um, and, and, and just to finish off with the court, he looked like the better of the two between him and Chris Drieger as the course of training camp went on. I really didn't think it was much of a debate. Even a few days in, I'm sorry. It just didn't seem like it. Uh, Defenseman-wise, Will Borgen, Brian Dumoulin, Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, Jacob Megna, Jamie Alexiak, and Justin Schultz round out uh, your defenseman pairings. We'll go, it's Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, uh, Jamie Alexiak, Will Borgen. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right. Muscle memory says yes, but I want to make sure I'm doing that right. So I don't just say things at you. Um, yeah, defenseman pairings, 
Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, Jamie Alexiak, Will Borg, and I had it right. Uh, Brian Dumoulin and then Justin Schultz with Jacob Megna being your seventh defenseman. Then the forwards, the forward lines are fun because these top two lines are excellent. Um, all, all three, all four of these lines are excellent. You've got Jared McCann, Matty Beniers, Jordan Everly, uh, Jaden Schwartz, Alex Wenberg, Andre Borokovsky, uh, Ellie Tolvanen, Yanni Gord, and Oliver Bjorkstrand, Brandon Tenev, um, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, Kyler Yamamoto, and Ty Cartier with Cartier and Yamamoto likely splitting time this season as that fourth line member like the Kraken did with Daniel Sprong, uh, Ryan Donato, and such throughout the course of the year, uh, and Morgan Gigi. Um, those are fun. I mean, the McCann Beneers Everly line has proven uh, what they can do on the offensive side of things. Great generation, great production. Uh, Schwartz, Wenberg, Burakovsky, you get Berkey back. You know, you get a full season of him. Who, if you played that, that, those two playoff series with Andre Burakovsky, they likely both don't go to seven games because you likely win them quicker than that. Um, and then the Tolvin and Gord Bjorkstrand line is so fun. I mean, you look at the, the heavy shot of Tolvanen and what he does defensively. What Yanni Gord brings as a whole. I don't even need to talk about what Yanni Gord brings. And then Oliver Bjorkstrand getting this offseason to really be settled uh, in Seattle, I think will be big for him. You know, he dealt with a lot this off, the past offseason when he was acquired by the Kraken, whether it was being traded, settling in, stuff with his family, you know, to be able to be settled um, and bring that to be, yeah, bring that into this season and just be ready to go worry about hockey only, I think will be big for him personally, I think so. Uh, and he got kind of stake bitten in the first half of the season anyway, um, as he was hitting the post a bunch um, and stuff like that. So that's your 2023 settle crack. And they are carrying 22 players instead of 23 that you'll notice uh, general manager, Ron Francis did note that this was to have that cap space flexibility in case they were to pick someone up off of waivers or they were to make a trade before the deadline. Uh, so that's what they'll likely roll with. It's a cap situation. Uh, folks have talked about this around the NHL uh, with going with 22 players instead of all 23. So that's what that was. A lot of people were like, who are they going to add? Are they going to bring back Martin Jones? It wouldn't make sense to bring out Martin Jones. So keep that talk away from me, please. Um, anyway, so I'm excited about Kraken season, as you can tell. We'll move over here to next up. Obviously, the Kraken have no record at this point in time. They're not standing anywhere in the division. Um, opening night is tomorrow to complete a three-game opening night session. Um October 10th at the Las Vegas Golden Knights with a puck drop of 7.30 Pacific time that is likely going to be later because of the fact that the Golden Knights have a banner to raise with winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, like my friend Maya says, I don't know who won the 2023 Stanley Cup. I don't know. Vegas erasure. Um, that is a season opener. That will be on ESPN. October 12th at the Nashville Predators is a 5 p.m. start that will be on ESPN+. Plus. I believe it's also on the normal route. Um, I, I think we get back to root after that. Let me double check this. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> sorry. I want to make sure. Yeah. Then we get back to root. Yep. 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 So 
October 12th at the Nashville Predators is a 5 p.m. puck drop. It is on route as well as on ESPN Plus 2. Uh, ESPN Plus as well, not 2. Um, and then closing out the week before they come home for their Tuesday, October 17th, home opener against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the Kraken will head out to St. Louis to play the Blues on October 14th with a puck drop of 5 p.m. Pacific time. So we'll let you take a break here. Um, catch your breath. Maybe me catch my breath as I've been talking so much. Whew. We'll now go over to our oil rain. Interesting feeling after the past week. So this match against the Washington spirit uh, was a big one, a celebratory one as it was Megan Rapinoe's final home regular season match of her career. Not last regular season match. As a lot of people on social media have said that is wrong. I apologize to be, that guy, um, it it was it's final home. They still have decision day. That decision day is big, also because it could make or break whether or not there is a playoff push for Megan Rapino. So we get into it. Um, October sixth versus the Washington Spirit here at Lumen Field, a scoreless draw. Unfortunately, our player of the match. When it was a scoreless draw, of course, it makes sense to have Claudia Dickey as our player of the match. An 8.5 match rating, five saves on the day, 67% passing percentage, three diving saves, four saves inside the box, one punch, and six recoveries. We have several photos of the match to look over here because of how much festivity history that was being made that night, uh, as well as just also great photos by our photographer, Liz Walter. Also to note in this match, it was the it was a record, the highest attended NWSL match in history of the league. 34,130 people packed inside of Lumen Field to send off Megan Wright. It was just a shame that they couldn't do it with the win. First photo of the match here uh, on a, a set piece. Megan Rapino looking here through. Uh, we can see here through the Washington Spirit players, and you can see Pino there. Just I, I love the framing here. Um, by Liz really enjoyed it. Um, just, just really enjoyed this one uh, as uh, 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 there were several great ones. It's why I'm doing four of these. You can see uh, the BCU banner on the ad there. Thank you, Megan forever rain. You can see Megan in front of that with the crowd behind her um, here. You can see when it was officially announced that it was a record breaking crowd uh, and you can see the field and the, the fans as well. Just excellent, excellent framing. Once again, um, and then here, the post-match ceremony. Uh, you can watch more of the post-match ceremony if you're checking out our social medias and our YouTube uh, as they got the three OGs in Rapino, Lou Barnes, and just Fishlock on there with head coach Laura Harvey. All four of those women have spent a good amount of time in their careers to get their all of them, uh, mostly at least when spent together with the rain. So really big there, really joyous occasion. Uh, to celebrate that it just when we look forward now it's very important that the rain record a win on sunday at the chicago red stars um as it currently sits the rain sit in the sixth and final seed of the nwsl playoffs they would get in they wouldn't host um any matches Yeesh. um it would be very, you're very playing with fire here uh, because the rain really haven't recorded the necessary results um, in recent memory. 
they've put themselves in this position. It's just like with the Sounders. Uh, defensively, the rain have been really strong. The back line, especially in the last two matches, really, really strong. Um, but then you look at the finishing. They, again, have been able to generate chances. They just haven't finished them. It is just like the Sounders, weirdly enough. Um, so we look at the fixtures here. Yeah, so in the month of October, two draws and a loss. Not great. Um, their last win was Sunday, uh, September 3rd. Yeah, you have to go back to the 3rd of September for a rain win. And it was a 1-0 win at that. Then to go back even further, their last win was July 28th. July 28th in the Challenge Cup, that was. Regular season, the last regular season win before the September 3rd result uh, was June 24th against the San Diego Wave. June! So, you know, the draws the draws have been too much uh, for the rain. It, it's been a lot. Obviously, there's time there uh, because of the World Cup break, but the rain haven't been getting necessary results. They haven't been finishing. Uh, it's been a big issue. The finishing was an issue last year, and they were able to win the Shield, funny enough. Uh, they weren't able to go further than the semifinal in the playoffs, which you could, again, look at the finishing. Um, but this week, you know, well, not this week, this year, the finishing has hurt them. It's hurt them to where they haven't. Their, their two wins in NWSL regular season play since June. There's only been two of them, as I mentioned. Yeah, right there. Um, and now they're fighting for a playoff spot. They needed the Houston Dash to draw or lose in their match against Angel City. They would lose, but Angel City's playoff hopes are alive still. So we look at the NWSL table here. I just had it up and I closed it. Uh, <laughs> so we look at the table here. There's no way they're going to win the shield this year. Uh, that's between Portland and San Diego. Uh, so cool. the first two spots in the NWSL table taken care of. There, There's no way North Carolina or anybody else can catch up to San Diego or Portland. But the three seed from the sixth seed are separated by one point. The rain sit at 29 points. Washington, New York, New Jersey, and North Carolina are separated by one point. Those last three teams that I mentioned all have 30 points. The rain have 29. Then you look at the teams that are looking into the playoffs. Um, there are four teams that can catch the rain, hypothetically. Houston Dash are three points below the rain. Racing Louisville are two points behind the rain. And then both Orlando and Angel City are one point behind the rain, making it a must-win. This is the definition of a must-win match for the rain. They're playing the Red Stars, who currently sit in the bottom of the league table in terms of points with 24. But even at that, they have a solid form in their past five matches. They lost to the Kansas City Current, but that was a high-scoring match in and of itself. They would allow four goals in the first half. Uh, they would come back to make it a close one, but Kansas City would pull away. Uh, in the four matches before that, it goes draw, win, draw, win. So it's not like Chicago is, is this bottom-feeding team. It's not going to be an easy match. Um, the rain have been without Sofia Huerta and Rose Lavelle over the course of the past two matches. They were without Nikki Stanton and Alana Cook in the Washington match. Um, they should get Cook back. Um, and Stanton plays, obviously, a role defensively, uh, depth-wise. 
but this is a must win match uh outside of winning your own match there are other things that go into play uh but above all else the rain need to focus on winning their own match and it's not going to be an easy one so stressful very very stressful and all of the matches that are taking place in the nwsl on decision day are taking place at the exact same time so there's no oh we're gonna watch this match and and, and maybe we'll feel a little bit better because our matches no all at the same time can you tell i'm stressed out about it because i am so uh, we'll do this again so i don't have the the screen can you tell can you tell how stressed out about it that i am because i'm very stressed out about it so uh, <laughs> i'm sorry i don't mean to come at you like that um looking at the injury report versus the spirit as i mentioned uh four players were out none of them were questionable alana cook out with suspension nikki sitting out with suspension both of those yellow card accumulation sophia Huerta out with a leg injury and rose lavelle out with a leg injury the rain sit at an eight win eight loss five draw record they are sixth in the league table as i mentioned with 29 points looking ahead October 15th at the Chicago Red Stars is a 2 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. That's a big one. This is on only on Paramount Plus. Huge, huge match. Cheer on your reign as they try to make the postseason. They can they can get up to the three seed and host a match at home in the playoffs. Funny enough. They can also miss the playoffs entirely. The highs and lows for the rain season that hang in the balance are high and low. So as again, as I mentioned. Lots of stress, uh, much the tenseness. So uh, that is it for the October 9th, 2023 episode of Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. I apologize for not being in the studio. I can only do so much when the Kraken have like a practice every single Monday morning. Uh, You know, so um, please always make sure to take care of yourselves. Be well. Do whatever you can to make today a great day. you know, so much happens in our day-to-day lives that it's it's hard. I forget to be able to sit down and breathe. Uh, I'm going to do that as soon as I turn the recording off. Uh, a lot. It's a lot. So make sure to check in on those that you love. Check in on those that you care about. Uh, let them know that you appreciate them because you never, ever know what people are truly going through. Till I see you next week, take care of yourselves. I love you and be safe. Um, and go Seattle. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.